if you've joined us, great to welcome you to our morning evening service. And uh, we just have some things to highlight tomorrow. Uh, uh, we have a cornerstone prayer and praise service tomorrow evening here at 6.30. And uh, if you were struck by anything particularly uh, from the summer conference last weekend, uh, then uh, or you've, uh, one of the, the sessions, the Sunday session, Nick talked about the now and the near and the natural, you see. <laughs> It was there, but you were faster. Uh, the now, the near, and the natural. And saying how it, God loves the week in which we are sent out into. And so particularly if anything spoke to you or encouraged you from the weekend. But in particular, if anything has happened or you've uh, seen God at work in you and through you this week and around you, uh, please come and be willing to share that tomorrow. Uh, we have our church members meeting, uh, vision meeting on Wednesday night at half past seven. So that will be in here. And uh, that's open to all our members, and uh, we encourage you to come, as well as if you're friends of the, uh, the f- part of the congregation as well, please come along. Is that okay? James is shaking his head. We're going to pray for a little moment, and then we'll read some scripture together. You're the giver of life, Lord. And as we are about to read scripture and think about its context in today, and shortly we'll break bread and drink wine, I ask that you'd you'd come and search our heart and mind we recognize and we humble ourselves before you. We recognize our need for you. We recognize our imperfection, our struggles. We acknowledge our frailty and failure. Sometimes we forget and sometimes it doesn't even register for us. But it is our prayer as disciples, as your followers, to be changed by you. And so come, Holy Spirit, where there is disbelief or doubt or hard-heartedness, bring repentance, renewed faith, and answers, insights. Well, there's attitudes and thoughts and behaviours that have just crept in or have, have been long-standing, we pray in Jesus' name, that change would come in the name of Jesus. Thank you for last weekend, Father, for all that Nick shared and Lois with us. mindful that we're called to be followers of Jesus today. Teach us your ways. Teach us to pray. 
teaches the authority and the, the status we now have as children of God. That we aren't just sent out as kind of a, as followers of yours with, with, with no stature, but you have said you've put your spirit within us and you have given us authority. And we speak and bear witness to an amazing truth. Jesus is Lord, Lord of our lives, Lord of this world. Come, Lord. We pray we'd see people turn to faith, turn to faith in Jesus Christ. We pray, even this week, in our orbits of life, we'd see lost saved. We'd see the power of God at work around us. Pray, Father, for, for myself, selfishly, I guess, but as I preach in Long Latin tomorrow with, as a guest of Vanessa's at those two services, I pray that in the foolishness, this foolishness that is preaching, yet the power of God would be revealed to speak deeply, powerfully into, into men's lives who are broken, We pray for Vanessa. Thank you for her. We pray for her as she readies herself to, to begin training, to explore the call that you've put on her, to learn and be challenged by that learning. And always to be able to earth it in ministry. We pray for her, for your spirit to use her as a mighty woman of yours. Thank you for the testimony that she's already spoken of of how you, she is seeing you at work in that place. Yet more, Lord. Thank you for Kate and her appointment amongst us as our children's ministry leader. Thank you for the vision and the passion that you've put within her that is, is one for growth, for life, for seeing an unfolding ministry amongst children and their families. Keep speaking that vision to her, please. Give her the ways to, to make real that, that great heart that she has, that great belief in the power of God to work in and through her, in and through us, to be making a difference in, in children's lives families' lives across this area. Thank you for this time of prayer. This time together. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Nietzsche, um, quite a difficult reader. I once went to Turkey with a friend 20 years ago. I took Tom Clancy to read by the pool. He took um, a Nietzsche book he found in the airport. I thought he was slightly crazy. 
he realised he was slightly crazy as I was devouring my Tom Clancy book and he was stuck on page two quite utterly flummoxed by it. But one of the things he said is that there should be a long obedience in the same direction. He's talking about spirituality. There, thereby results and has always resulted in the long run something which has made life worth living. A long obedience in the same direction. An amazing thought that this is what discipleship is. It's following Jesus, confessing him as Lord of our lives, having come to know him as saviour and living that out of being constrained and inspired by him obediently, learning the ways, learning the ropes as a disciple, as a pilgrim, as a follower. Step by step, day by day in easy times and in the struggle of consistently journeying with him, to him, in him. And in this theme of, uh, of discipleship, I, I wanted to touch particularly on joy. Not joy over there, where is she? Uh, but of joy, the, the discipline of joy. Something I, I think of from time to time and uh, of the challenge that that perhaps is in this for us. A a theologian called Leonard Sweet underwent what he describes as a deconversion. Um, It's a strange phrase. When he was 19, he writes, uh, he was an American, what ignited my deconversion was the church's funereal spirit, its fussy, buttoned-upness, Christians stay at home and pickle in their own juices personalities. Their vinegary countenances drained me emotionally, incapacitated me intellectually, and shut me down spiritually. The best I could say was this. By and large, Christians were kind people in a bad mood. Now, when I was reading that, I thought it has no bearing and reflection upon Chipping Camden Baptist Church in the slightest probably about myself sometimes. But there is something, as I've read at times in different parts of of biographies, of spiritual journals of people, of uh, different saints and sages throughout the past, and even in the scripture, joy seems to feature prominently for those who are following Jesus. Have you noticed that? Joy is a consequence of following Jesus, not a requirement. Please hear that. It's not as I'm saying to you, right, you must be joyous now. Rejoice. Come on. You know, and kind of impose it harshly. But joy comes from, as we'll see, dwelling, knowing, walking with Jesus. It's an authentic Christian note, a sign of of those who are on the way of salvation that joy characterizes the Christian way, the Christian pilgrimage. Augustine of Hippo said the Christian should be in a hallelujah from head to foot. I like that. A hallelujah from head to foot. I know as I, I describe it in these terms, um, you may be kind of feeling like, oh gosh, here we go, I'm far from it because it's Saturday night and you know, Saturday night's better than Sunday mornings, isn't it? Because you're awake now. He said faithfully, hopefully. In Paul's list of the fruit of the Spirit, Galatians 5, love, joy, 
characterizes those who are spirit-filled. It seemed to be something that characterized and was evident in the life of Jesus. On and on, joy. He was a rejoicing man. We sung a song about it, Jesus turning water into the wine. I don't think there was any dour-faced vinegariness in that party. That People love to be with Jesus. I love to be with people that are not just happy. Joy is more than happy. But often it's part of that. See, joy isn't something that is kind of like a moral requirement. In other words, joy isn't something that you inflict upon yourself in order for you to be a good disciple. I, I must be joyful when you kind of going through all this, the places of life's circumstances, sort of imposing it and kind of straight-jacketing yourself with joy. Because the reality of life as a Christian is that we sometimes do experience Hard times, challenging times, sad times, painful times, low points, where our lives take a turn for the worse, where, where joy can seem to be permanently gone. And the danger of those times is therefore we think, well, I'm not joyful, therefore it calls into question whether or not you're a follower of Jesus, a Christian. Let me say again, joy is not a requirement of Christian discipleship, but is a consequence In other words, you can become a Christian whoever you are and in the light of knowing God, following Jesus, joy comes. It's a fruit of the Spirit. As the Spirit moves in you, joy grows. It's not a requirement, but it is a consequence. It comes to us as we walk in the way of faith and obedience. It's something we all like, joy. Lots of attempts at joy in life, people to find joy and fulfillment, the meaning and purpose of life. Well, people tell jokes, go to hear comedians, people tell stories, sing songs, they travel, they find experiences. The enormous entertainment industry seeks to provide joy, whether it's the roller coaster or the picture postcard sunset by the beach or the luxury meal. But the effects are temporary, whether minutes or hours or occasionally days. Joy sometimes trickles away when the money runs out. People have pursued it in all sorts of ways. Here are just some. People have tried to find meaning and joy where it cannot be found. Voltaire said in uh, trying to find what is the purpose through philosophy, he said, I, I wish I'd never been born. In the result of all his thinking and deep thoughts, Lord Byron, who lived a life of pleasure, wrote, the worm, the canker, and grief are mine alone. What a joyous man. Jay Gould, an American millionaire, discovered joy isn't found in money. When dying, he said, I suppose I'm the most miserable man on earth. Lord Beaconsfield commented about does joy find in, is found in position and fame? Youth is a mistake, he said. Manhood is a struggle and old age a regret. Alexander the Great, when trying to find purpose and meaning in military glory. Having conquered so much, he wept in his tent and said, there are no more worlds to conquer. Where's real joy found? In Christ, in Jesus 
You see, you can't make yourself joyful. You know, we can, we can work ourselves up, perhaps, and get ourselves in a giddy mood, but that's not really the joy Scripture is speaking of. But joy comes from when we understand more of who God is and the abundance of God. Turn with me to Psalm 126. It's, a, it's an amazing little psalm. It's only six verses. Psalm 126. And it's the psalm in the whole section in the psalms here in the Psalter that are called the Songs of Ascent. They start in Psalm 120. They're psalms that would have been used in worship for pilgrims, for disciples who were journeying from uh, the kind of uh, Jerusalem's on a hill, on a city on a hill, and as they would come up on pilgrimage to the city, they would use these psalms of ascent. Ascent means going up in order to worship in the temple. And one of them, Psalm 126, says this, a song of ascents. When the Lord brought back the captives to Zion, we were like men who dreamed. Our mouths were filled with laughter, our tongues with songs of joy. Then it was said among the nations, the Lord has done great things for them. The Lord has done great things for us and we are filled with joy. Restore our fortunes, O Lord, like streams in the Negev. Those who sow in tears will reap with songs of joy. He who goes out weeping, carrying seed to sow, will return with songs of joy, carrying sheaves with him. It's on the screen. Let's, let's just read that together, shall we? So Psalm 126. When the Lord brought back the captives to Zion, we were like men who dreamed. Our mouths were filled with laughter, our tongues with songs of joy. Then it was said among the nations, the Lord has done great things for them. The Lord has done great things for us and we are filled with joy. Restore our fortunes, O Lord, like streams in the Negev. Those who sow in tears will reap with songs of joy. He who goes out weeping, carries seed to sow, will return with songs of joy, carrying sheaths with him. Thank you. It's a little, it's a little psalm. It's a psalm of ascent, and it it speaks of joy. It's got a particular kind of structure. I don't know you, if you spotted it. Uh, no, it doesn't matter if you didn't. But if you, James, just, just put the, them back up whilst we or in, look in your Bible. Psalm 126, six verses. The first two, verse, first two verses uh, talk about their experience of God in the past tense. When the Lord brought back the captives, we were like men who dreamed. Our mouths were filled, our tongues uh, and so forth. They said among the nations, the Lord has done great things. The, the central key verse in the psalm is verse three. The Lord has done great things for us and we are filled with joy. It's kind of like the, the sandwich in the bread. It's the filling, it's uh, the central point, the focus of this psalm. And the, the third three verses, sorry, the second three verses, Spot the tens. Restore our fortunes, O Lord, like streams in the Negev. Those who sow in tears will reap with songs of joy. He who goes out weeping, carrying seed to sow, will, will return with songs of joy, carrying sheaves with him. Notice the change of tense. It moves from past to the focal verse in verse 3, which said, The Lord has done great things for us, and we are filled with joy. And then moves on to future tense. Grammar lesson begun.
there's something about this characteristic of joy that roots itself in, in the past, but also recognizes the power of God in the future. That kind of focus in are the lens in which we live in the present with joy. Joy in the present has gladness based in the past and the future. It's not a passing emotion. It's not a fad that we just think, oh, you know, it's just a good emotion. It happens to be a nice day today. Very clearly, joy that the God speaks of, joy that the world cannot find, is very clearly focused in and who God is and what he has done. You know, it's, it was telling just in this last week, the nation was very joyous before we played Italy, right? Hey, we're hopeful we're going to be rejoicing. It's going to be the year of Diamond Jubilee and we're going to win the Olympics and Empire will be back. Hooray! And then we go out on penalties and the nation slumps in a slough of despond. Or you listen to the Today program and the stock market improves. The nation is happy! And then you hear more and the nation is sad. It's not what the joy God speaks of. The background, the focus of past in the psalm, and I want to encourage us to reflect on it in our kind of living as disciples, is the, the, the kind of background to joy is the trigger of memory. When God brought back captives to Israel or to Zion, our mouths were filled with laughter, our tongues filled with joy. As they looked back, they remembered what God has done in the redemptive, the salvific, the powerful actions of God. One of the things when I read through scripture, when I kind of set myself the challenge of reading through from kind of Genesis all the way to Revelation from time to time is again, page after page after page in the Bible there are stories, examples of God's goodness and of his presence and of his grace, his rescue, his power to alter seemingly intractable problems of uh, of huge systemic kind of uh, suffering and slavery and uh, hopelessness and revolutionizing it by this sovereign action of God. So the major acts you know of, but they're, they're countless repeated in, in individual stories. But the major acts, again and again, the Exodus, huge landscape feature of the Old Testament. If you, you know, where the, the, the people of God were oppressed in slavery, they'd gone to Egypt and there was a new Pharaoh and rather than being able to live in the land with plenty, they're imposed with slavery, with toil, with suffering of hopelessness. They just cry out to, to, to God in the early story, chapters of Exodus, crying out under this oppression. And one day God, suddenly, suddenly it's different because God intervenes. That the people were hopeless, yet God. And as he rescues them through the, the, the story of Passover, you get to Exodus 15, they've come through the Red Sea. Then Moses, 15 verse 1 and 2, then Moses and the Israelites sang this song to the Lord. I will sing to the Lord, for he is highly exalted. The horse and the rider he has hurled into the sea. The Lord is my strength and my song. He has become my salvation. He is my God and I will praise him. My father's God and I will exalt him. Listen to how the message phrases it. It's a little bit more uh, kind of expressive. Then the Moses and the Israelites sang this song to God, giving voice together. I'm singing my heart out to God. What a victory. He pitched horse and rider into the sea. God is my strength. 
God is my song, and yes, God is my salvation. This is the kind of God I have, and I'm telling the world. This is the God of my Father. I'm spreading the news far and wide. Do you think they were rejoicing? Do you think they understood the providence of God? Yeah. Joyful not just because of the present victory, but knowing what God had done. Flip forward a few pages in the Bible and you, you find David, King David, spending years in the wilds, in the, in the forlorn, the barren places, fighting the Philistines, hunted by the violent King Saul, hiding uh, f- for fear of his own life, recognizing through the story of his life his own moral failings. And even in later life as a king, chased out of the throne and into the wilderness again, betrayed by Absalom. And yet, in Psalm 22, at 2 Samuel 22, 47, the Lord lives, he says, praise be to my rock, exalted be God, the rock, my saviour. I think that characterises joy. In the Psalm 126, verse 2, it see, uh, verse 1, it seemed like a dream, too good to be true. That each act of God seemed impossible, but God did it. That the psalm reminds us that we fill our thoughts, we fill our minds, we fill our memories with the retelling, the understanding of the stories of what God has done. That joy has a history. That joy is verified and repeated and repeatedly experienced in those who are involved in what God is doing. It is It has a real date in history. The joy is nurtured by living in such a history, building on the foundation of of what God has done. How do we cultivate joy? How does uh, joy grow in us? By remembering, by rejoicing and celebrating what God has done. By remembering the times that you know of the action, whether it's through the, the stories of Scripture or your own stories. I read a few years ago the, the autobiography of Spurgeon, and uh, he, he says this about his conversion as he looked back upon it. It's uh, in 19th century language, but you can't help but understand his joy as he looks back. That happy day when I found the Savior and learned to cling to his dear feet was a day never to be forgotten by me. An obscure child, unknown, unheard of. I listened to the word of God and that precious text led me to the cross of Christ. I can testify that the joy of that day was utterly indescribable. I could have leapt, I could have danced, there was no expression, however fanatical, which could have been out of keeping with the joy of my spirit at that hour. Many days of Christian experience have passed since then, but there has never been one which has had the full exhilaration, that sparkling delight, what the first day had. I thought I could have sprung up from the seat on which I sat and have called out with the wildest of those Methodist brethren who were present, I am forgiven, I am forgiven, a monument of grace, a sinner saved by blood. My spirit saw its chains broken to pieces. I felt that I had, was an emancipated soul, an heir of heaven, a forgiven one, accepted in Christ Jesus, plucked out of the miry clay and out of the horrible pit with my, 
Good languages, isn't it? Uh, And uh, set my feet upon a rock and my goings established. I thought I could have danced all the way home. I could understand what John Bunyan meant when he declared he wanted to tell the crows on the plowed land all about his conversion. He was too full to hold. He felt he must tell somebody. That's joy. It's remembering that joy is rooted in God and what he's done. But it's also joyful expectation. As we saw verses 46, 4 to 6, look future. Joy is nurtured by anticipation as well as understanding of what has happened in the past. How can that be? Well, our certainty of what God has done in the past we can be sure that we can trust God in the future because he's always faithful. He's not changing. Because of what he has done, because of what he has shown himself to be, we can be utterly convinced, utterly sure, dead set, that this is who God will be today and also in every day that we will have the privilege to live. Why do we think that God will arbitrarily change the way he works with us? That's doubt, isn't it? We think... Oh, I don't know. But as we remember what he has done and who he is, we can be absolutely sure that this is his character and nature, always. What we have known of him, we will know of him. And the psalmist uses these two images. One, he says, of the streams in the Negev, and also uh, of seed being sown and of reaping a harvest. Uh, I looked up on the internet, you can do this. If you look at the Negev, Uh, You'll see, if you've been to Israel, I'm sure, it's just in the south, and it's just lots of desert. It's a really, really barren, hostile place. Dry and dusty and rocky. But from time to time, the rains come, and in those moments, it's kind of rare, as the rains come, uh, the the dry ravines and the, the, the dried up riverbeds are filled with water, And suddenly, within a matter of days, the Negev is transformed into this flowering meadow because of the presence of rain. So the psalmist says, restore our fortunes, O Lord, like the streams of the Negev. And it's this picture, the psalmist knew that as the rain would come, suddenly this abundant life would be restored. It's a real clue to to the psalmist's state of mind to say it's probable that they were finding things in a difficult place. It's not saying that as you're joyous, it's all happy day and swinging from the chandeliers and there's no problems on the horizon. Actually, they probably, they knew suffering and toil, but they were remembering and trusting that just as their picture of rain in a desert could transform into a lush, beautiful place from a barren desert place, they knew that as God intervenes, their painful circumstances would be transformed the invasion of God's grace. The second image of that is of sowing and of planting seeds. Hard work if you garden. Hard work if you're a farmer in, in the kind of the, the plowed fields where there's nothing much. It just looks like empty earth. But as you put those seeds in, you know that a harvest will come. You sow it in God and he finally will bring a crop of joy from it. Remember this psalmist and the people of Israel were no stranger to the dark side of things. 
They had painful memories of the exile, the scars of oppression on their backs, the deserts, deserts of the heart and nights of weeping. They knew what it was like to sow in tears. But also trusted in the God who would bring a transformation. And in so doing could have joy, even with tears in the present, yet certain joy. Joy is living in the midst of God's great works. Joy is that the attribute that the Holy Spirit builds in us that doesn't kind of diminish pain or suffering. But joy comes in this future sense of knowing that God will wipe away every tear and every suffering and every injustice. Joy is what God gives, not that which we work up. Psalm 16 says it like this, in your presence is fullness of joy, in your right hand are pleasures forever. You see, the joy that we're seeking, the joy that we're seeking to develop as disciples is an overflow of the heart that comes from trusting in God, not trusting in yourself. Trusting that his ways are dependable and his promises are sure. Paul writes in Romans verse chapter 5, not only so, but we rejoice in our sufferings because we know that suffering produces perseverance, perseverance, character, and character, hope. And hope doesn't, doesn't disappoint us because God has poured out his love into our hearts by the Holy Spirit whom he has given us. Verse 11, not only this, but we rejoice in God through Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we now have received reconciliation. Or Paul in prison, in chains, writing to the Philippian church, rejoice in the Lord always. I'll say it again, rejoice. In Paul's present, knowing who Christ was and what God has done and the future that he was looking forward to, absolutely sure, rejoice in the Lord always. And just so we get it, he says again, rejoice. Again and again it's repeated in scripture. Again and again through this story of, of saints, men and women, through generations, joy characterizes those who follow Christ. Someone writing about joy says this. He says, if you like joy, there is one way you can engage in the process of gaining ever-increasing joy. Learn to rejoice a choice to rejoice cannot depend on circumstances because it operates from the heart of faith. It lives regardless of what has happened, embracing the realities of his world that can only be accessed by trust in God and his word. Rejoicing releases joy. Perhaps the greatest secret regarding joy is in discovering this, God's joy over us. The Bible tells us, Nehemiah 8.10, the joy of the Lord is your strength. God has joy. And it's his joy over us that makes us strong. He says that truth sets us free unlike anything else. Rejoice, 
for God is delighted in you. How does that old hymn go? How are we happy in Jesus but to trust and obey? Trust in who he is. Walk with him, trusting that he is who he is in the today and the tomorrow. Joy comes through obedience to Christ. And joy results from obedience to Christ. Without this obedience, joy is hollow and it's artificial. We're going to celebrate communion. One of the, the names of communion that is used in some churches is the Eucharist. It means the giving thanks. And uh, there's a great solemnity to it, a great preciousness, awesome holiness to this event. But there's also a great rejoicing, a great celebration that through Jesus, through his death and his broken, sacrificial, life-giving atonement, we can rejoice. The context of, the, of these early suppers was in the, the meal where the disciples were gathered together to eat. We tend not to eat glumly, do we? Sunday lunch isn't usually a glum affair, is it? Generally. Um, they're happy occasions. I want us to eat tonight with that in mind. That we eat as a family. And just take a moment, in, in church traditions we often uh, share the peace with one another. And we won't do that uh, formally this evening. But just look around because each of us here are testaments to the power and the action of God to rescue and save. That each of us is an object of the grace of God. Each of us the Lord has joy over. Each of us can tell and testify to what the Lord has done. And in seeing the faces and knowing some of the stories and maybe not others, we know there's a story in our life. And yet God is involved and that should bring us joy and rejoicing. Look at what he's done. I know we're only a fraction of our congregation. Look at what he's done. You beautiful people. Because God has rescued us. God has come amongst us. God is at work in us. God is building us up. Let's rejoice. For he has brought us together. He has said, come together and eat of this bread and drink of this cup. One loaf, one cup. I know we break it into lots of bits and pass lots of little cups around. But it symbolizes one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one Father of and Lord of all, in all and through all. Jesus, thank you that at the Passover meal, I'm sure your disciples, as they drank wine, there was a party atmosphere, not because they were reckless, but because they were celebrating. The Lord has rescued us. God has redeemed. He's caused us to be a people. wrenched us from slavery and oppression into life and hope. 
And Jesus in that first meal took the cup and the bread and said there's a new covenant. This night I'm beginning it. That will be sealed by my blood as I, as I die on the cross. As, it's, as my life is spent a new covenant will be established. A greater rescue. A greater redemption. A freedom that goes beyond that of the one in Exodus in Egypt. Because it frees from sin. It frees from Satan. It frees even from death itself. And the power of sin and the slavery to sin. Such is the work of God in Jesus Christ. And I'm glad, more than glad, I rejoice, Jesus, that you first love me. And I rejoice, Jesus, the privilege of being with my brothers and sisters this night as we share this simple meal and recognize, look what God has done. And so inspired to know you're at work as we go forth from here. And you are coming back. The psalmist said, The Lord has done great things for us, and we are filled with joy. Let's say that together. The Lord has done great things for us, and we are filled with joy. You have done great things. Take a moment to remember. The Lord has done great things for us. We are filled with joy. Take a moment to renew your faith and trust in Jesus Christ. To reassert and reaffirm his lordship of your life. The promise that you made to say, I will live for you, Jesus. Here I am. My life is yours. The Lord has done great things for us. We are filled with joy. And dear Holy Spirit, into the present moment, into every circumstance that we are now living, represented here and in our congregation, We lift up our eyes and lift up our hearts. You're the giver of life. Even if it seems that we're sowing with weeping at the moment, we will return with songs of joy. I pray for the rain that is needed to bring a blossoming in the desert places. The Lord has done great things for us.
filled with joy. So brothers and sisters in Christ, we will eat and I shall be thankful and I trust you will be too. In this meal that is called the Eucharist and the giving thanks. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. Jesus, on the night that he was portrayed, took bread and after giving thanks, broke it and said, this is my body, it's broken for you. Do this in memory of me.